remember when we started Mark, we started Mark uh, talking about uh, who Jesus really is. And Mark was the first to write the Gospels. The Gospels are um, obviously on account of who Jesus is, but Mark's the first one to write it. And at the beginning of Mark, it says this, it says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's his opening line. And he lets us in on who Jesus is right off the bat. But what's interesting is we, the reader, get to know who Jesus is before the characters in the story. And so we get to read this story knowing kind of who Jesus is, but the characters around Jesus during this time are kind of confused. They're trying to figure out who he is. And the tension is that we know the story, the the players don't know the story. And this is why Mark's really brilliant because the characters in the story talk about their, I mean, it talks about their unbelief. It talks about their unawareness of who Jesus is. And, and I think this is really cool because this is the, a book and this is an account of the Gospels that can handle our unbelief at times. Like it can handle kind of where we're coming from. And so the scene begins with Jesus's family trying to f- perform an intervention. They show up, the crowds are there, the, the family shows up, and, and it says in verse 20 that Jesus entered the house, and again the, ga- the crowd gathered so that he and the disciples were not even able to eat. So they're pressing in on him again. Last week's story, Canada, they were pressing in on him pretty heavily, and he had to get on a boat. Um, this week's story, they can't, even, they can't even eat because people are packing in this place. And when his family, it says, heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. Like they called him crazy. His own family called him crazy. And um, I mean, they're probably thinking, okay, this guy doesn't have a job. He's not, prof- he's not providing for the family. Like the whole family contributes to the whole family. And Jesus is just out doing his thing. And so they show up. They're like, we got to put a stop to this. And then you have inside the house, you have scribes. And the scribes and the teachers of the law. and They came from Jerusalem, it says, and they say he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. And so then there's a parable, and then we go back outside the house because people are like, hey, Jesus, your mom's here. (laughs) Like, your mom's here, she thinks you're nuts, time to go. And what's interesting is Mark, this whole passage is called a chiasm. It's like... um, a form of literature in uh, the biblical time where it starts out with different chunks. It starts with one topic and ends with a topic. And as it goes towards the center, the center is the meaning. So it starts with crowds. It ends with crowds. Then it goes to the family. Then it almost finishes with the family. And then the scribes are kind of towards the center And in the middle of it is a parable. And the parable is the most important part of this passage. And the question is, who is Jesus? Like, that's what this whole setup, this whole 17-week journey we've been on is, who is Jesus? And what we get in this passage is two different versions. Um, His family's version is he's crazy. 
the uh, the scribe's version is that he is demon possessed. And then Jesus offers a different conclusion to who he is. Jesus is claiming to be the strong one who's coming to rescue. And so Mark doesn't allow us to just um, conclude that Jesus is a good teacher. He doesn't, he doesn't allow us to do that. Um, he's, he's, he's saying in this passage, some people say he's possessed. Some people say he's crazy. Um, but Jesus is saying that he's to be worshipped. And so Mark is pushing, him, pushing us as the, the reader to accept Jesus' claims and, and not his family's or the scribes. And so what's interesting here is that the scribes aren't questioning whether Jesus has power. Like, that is very clear to them. Like, he has some kind of power. What they did was conclude that it was coming from the adversary. And so what this really does is this highlights their view of God. Um, so their idea of God is, um, all the way up to this point, is that God does not work in the margins. God is at the center of religion, and he's at the center of Jerusalem, and, and he doesn't work on the Sabbath, and God doesn't touch people who are unclean and ritually unclean. Therefore, this guy, Jesus, according to the scribes, must be from the devil. And so in a sense, they kind of shrink Jesus into something manageable. And here's the thing with us. We do this all the time. It's, it's, it's something that's, um, I think, very human to do. Um, I think it's, it's very easy to say things like Jesus was a great teacher and Jesus taught about love and acceptance and peace. And we can swallow that version of Jesus. That's a great version of Jesus to swallow. And Jesus was a teacher of love, acceptance, and peace. But Jesus was much more than that. And so he comes back with this parable. And it says in verse 23, So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? How can the adversary drive out the adversary? If the kingdom is divided against him itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And then he says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself is, and is divided, he cannot stand. The, his end has come. So basically what he's saying is, is like, then this must be good news for you. This must be good news for you because if I'm from Satan and I'm opposing the things that Satan does, then we're probably seeing this, the end of Satan's rule. Um, but then he goes on. This is great. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Like this is what many scholars say, like the picture, the image um, of what Mark is trying to communicate for the rest of the story. Like, this is the image. This is the metaphor we need to unpack. N.T. Wright says this, and I think we have this quote will be coming up in the chat. He says, the parable may be taken as Jesus's mission statement in Mark, urging us to interpret the rest of the narrative guided by this image. The whole gospel is a story about the reign of God coming to displace another reign. 
And that other one will relinquish its power, won't relinquish its power without a fight. So the metaphor here is that this present world that you and I live in is like a house dominated with kind of a tyrannical king who rules the house and, and we are the unfortunate victims. We are the unfortunate house guests. And we live in this house and there's nothing we can do. And you and I are stuck in this house and Jesus is saying, I am the stronger, more powerful one. And I have come to bind up, to tie up the one who's been ruling this house to set you free. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, I am an outside force coming in to tie up the adversary. I am the power of God. And I, I was reminded of this. I was reminded of a mere Christianity. If some of you have not read mere Christianity, great read. I think it's really important for you to pick that up. It's C.S. Lewis. And in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about enemy-occupied territory. And this is the quote. He says, enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. So we are... We are in this world, this world Jesus calls, is, is, is called being ruled by, by the adversary, and we get to take part in sabotaging what the adversary is doing. And, and so Jesus claims to bind up the strong man and to set us free. And what's interesting is that Jesus has to do something for us before he does something in us. Like he has to rescue us. Um, and, and this is really helpful. Maybe this is helpful for you. Jesus doesn't just teach us how to break out. Like he doesn't just give us a tip or two, like, hey, when he's not looking, sneak. No, like he actually has to do the work of binding up evil and sin and death. And then he can do things in us. And so here's the thing. Great teaching won't, t- won't free you from injustice. It won't free you from disease and sin and death. Um, and, and I think that's why some people get confused. I'm like, is Jesus just a great teacher? No, he's much more than that. He takes on injustice and sin and death. Um, Colossians, the writer of Colossians is Paul. He writes this line out of Colossians 1. He says, for he has rescued us same kind of language Jesus uses, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So Paul's vision is, his, his metaphor is Jesus rescues us and transplants us into a different kingdom. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message version of Colossians, Colossians chapter two, he says this, when you were stuck in your old sin dead life, You were incapable of responding to God. God brought you you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the cross, uh, Christ's cross. 
He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority and at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. That's why I use that quote, because of the naked part. Now, the idea is that, that the power has been um, disarmed by Jesus. And so here's the implication. You and I originally belong to God, and that is why we are captive now. We, we originally be- belong to God, and we lost that, and we are captive now, and we need to be set free. The, the restoration definition that we love, the reason why we called this church restoration, one of the definitions goes like this. The return to its former owner, place, or condition. Like that is the beauty of it, that God actually wants to return us, to rescue us out of the condition we're in, into our previous and intended condition, right? So the previous condition was shalom and no injustice, um, no race on race crime, no disease, no economic injustice and violence, no abuse, no shame. That was the original intent for humanity. It all goes sideways. You know the story. And in the first announcement we get in Genesis of a rescue mission comes in Genesis 3.15. And Jesus is saying here, he is the stronger one, that he has come to set us free. And, and this is why Jesus has to do something for humanity before he does something to it, to break evil, to break the back of it, and to deliver us. And so he goes on to say this in verse 28, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. And in verse 30, it says, he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. So some of you have probably grown up with this thinking, this freak out. Um, You're probably scared by this, the unforgivable sin. Um, have I committed it? Did I do it? Whoops. Did I, did I slip the <laughs> unforgivable sin or sometime in my life? Uh, it's, it's this idea, like here's the context. The sin of the scribes is that they are in the presence of God's grace in action. Like God is actually at work doing something and they have not only rejected it, but they've actually ascribed it to the adversary right? So it's kind of like conspiracy theories, which are somewhat popular right now. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, (laughs) There's just a few of them. When you subscribe to a conspiracy theory, all the evidence you see out there will simply confirm your belief, right? It's just going to push into what you've already believed. And so everything Jesus is doing, the scribes are actually um, chalking that up to demonic activity. So they're, they're, they're pushing all of that into that category. And so it's like this. Once you see Jesus like that, 
there's nothing he can do to actually help you. Um, you're actually putting yourself at odds with Jesus. So it's kind of like this idea. Um, say you're about to go into surgery, um, Ben, and you, sorry, and you, but what if you don't trust the surgeon? Like, what if you actually think the surgeon is a cannibal? You, you might look around and go, wait a second, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And you might actually think um, you, you would have a hard time letting the surgeon do his healing work on you if you believed the surgeon was a cannibal. I know that's like a far-fetched illustration, but you're actually putting yourself at odds with Jesus when you actually believe that what Jesus is doing is of the devil. And so what, what I want to do is, hopefully that made some sense or another, um, what I want to do is we're actually going to take like five, eight minutes, and we're actually going to send you guys off into breakout groups because we can. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to just talk about one or two little quick things. Um, this will get a chance for you to interact. The reason why we're doing this kind of format right now is because we really value being connected uh, more than we value how many likes we get on, on YouTube, okay, or anything like that. So um, you don't have to. So when the, when the screen pops up and says, join breakout group, you don't have to. Like if you don't feel like interacting, that's okay. Go get a cup of coffee, come back, join us. As I, we're going to wrap it up. but. Um, I want to give you some encouragement to have a little courage, jump in and share a little bit. So you should be getting a, a uh, invitation to go to a breakout, and then we'll be back together very shortly. Everybody's back. Was that too painful, everybody? No? Ran out of time. Ran out of time. You want more time next time? So we're going to finish the passage now. We only got a little bit left. It goes like this. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mom's here. <laughs> your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus responded, who are my brother, who are, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my, is my brother and sister and mother. So what's interesting here is there's this kind of imagery of the people inside versus the people outside. The people inside seem to be people who are listening and, and, and hearing Jesus and wanting to know more. And, um, and the people outside were people who kind of thought he was crazy. And it, what's interesting is in Jesus's day, in context, family was everything. Like everything. You operated as a family unit. You were known by your family. You, you wanted to spend your whole 
life honoring your family, not shaming your family. And you would take up your family business. And Jesus is literally saying right here that stronger ties are being made. That the kingdom of God actually wants absolute claim on our lives over and above any other cultural obligation. And so in Jesus' day, since nothing is stronger than family bonds, what he's saying is something pretty remarkable. He's actually saying that the kingdom of God is actually something that has a bigger hold on us than anything else in our culture. So when we follow Jesus, uh, we begin to live a life um, that is no longer about money, that is no longer about self-expression, that is no longer about um, the things that I think our world operates on. When we do this, we actually become an outsider to how our culture operates. And sometimes we look pretty weird doing it. We actually look pretty off. And actually, I would say that to really follow Jesus potentially could look even strange to other Christians. And remember we talked about earlier in this series that this idea is like it's really possible to believe in Jesus and to not follow Jesus. Like it's, it, it's easy to get into a trap of thinking, well, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. But our lives actually don't look anything like it. They actually look more like how our society operates and how our economy operates and how our education system operates. And, and what's interesting is we sometimes have a hard time seeing it. See, Jesus says in verse 35, whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. So what Jesus is actually calling us to is a whole different level of community. And making a new community, making a new family is what Jesus is all about. And he tells us in this exchange that there's no sin that God won't forgive. Um, and that, but he's not going to forgive us uh, until we bring it before him. And that's the idea behind this. And, and Jesus is saying, this is who I really am. I'm the strong man that's come to bind up the one that is keeping you captive. And I'm, I'm here to set you into, a, I'm, I'm looking for a new family and a new community. And so this morning, I just want to leave us with some of this unresolved. Because it is unresolved. It's something that I think for each of us in this space, um, wherever you're at in your life, um, you may be wrestling with who Jesus is. Like, is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus more than just a teacher of love and peace and, and acceptance? Um, and what does it look like in my life to actually follow? What does it look like for me to actually do the will of God in my life? And so this morning, I just want to pray kind of an open-ended prayer of trust and Maybe there's some things in your life that you need freedom from. 
uh, and that image of Jesus tying up the one that is, is has you really in some sin and bondage, and um, maybe that's what you need this morning. So I'm just going to pray kind of a big prayer for us as we close. God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus, the one who would, who, would, who would bind up the strong man, the one who would put chains on the adversary. God, you have freed us. You have broken the power of sin and death in our lives. But God, sometimes we don't live that way. We don't understand that. We don't live, we don't understand that we can live in freedom. And we struggle. And sometimes the house is, sometimes it's easier to just stay in the house. But God, we pray today that we would trust you and that we would obey you that we would see our lives as agents of sabotage into uh, what the, uh, the devil, what the, what the adversary is up to, that we would enter dark places like you do, that we would uh, reach out to people on the margins like you do, that we would take this very seriously, that we would take doing the will of our Father seriously. And there are so many places that we could take it seriously. And so, God, this morning we ask that you would heal and, and rescue, um, that you would um, give us um, the joy of following you on this Mother's Day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.